Let us begin our Thanksgiving sermon with prayer. Praise be to you, O Lord, for you have sustained us from our earliest infancy, and you give nourishment to all people. Fill our hearts with joy and gladness, providing for all our needs at all times, and give us hearts that are satisfied with what you provide. Amen. Our text for our sermon is Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 2 through 3. Remember the whole journey on which the Lord your God led you these 40 years in the wilderness in order to humble you and to test you, in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commandments. So he humbled you and allowed you to be hungry. Then he fed you manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known before, in order to teach you that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. This is the word of our Lord. Deuteronomy, which actually means the second giving of the law, is when Moses gives his farewell speech to the generation that will enter the promised land. And as part of that farewell speech in the verse just prior to today's lesson, he tells them, now you be sure to obey everything the Lord has commanded you. See, 40 years earlier, the generation before them had not. They thought they could pick and choose with God, and because of that, they weren't allowed to enter the promised land. The same would be true with this generation. If they chose to pick and choose what uh, God's commandments were, then, well, they wouldn't get the promised land. Sadly, in our modern Christian, in our modern era, many Christian churches also decide to pick and choose what they're going to believe, not just in God's commands, but in his word. We gather to give thanks to the Lord for the many blessings that he provides for us. And working through today's text, we will see that we give thanks to the Lord for every word that comes from the Lord. Our text begins by telling us, Remember the whole journey on which the Lord your God led you these 40 years in the wilderness in order to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commandments. If you were five years old when God sent those ten plagues to uh, unbind the Egyptians' hearts from enslaving the Israelites, you would be 45 when Moses spoke these words. You would have lived your whole entire life pretty much roaming around in that desert. And yet, before abandoning the word of the Lord, Moses says... Remember all those 40 years of wandering around in the desert and how the Lord your God led you. It's very interesting. The word that he uses to hum for humbling and translate in order to humble. It really is through affliction. Now, it's not that God comes along and just beats us up and says there. Now you've been humbled. No, 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 no. God allows hardships. Remember, he subjected this world to decay all creation so we wouldn't get attached to it. And the devil uses hardships to try to get us to fall from our faith. God says this much will do you good, but any more won't. So when God allows hardship, it really is like having custom tailored shoes or gloves or a suit. God has custom fit them for exactly what you need. Jesus had told his disciples if they're going to follow him, they're going to take up a cross. That really speaks heavily against the hucksters of prosperity theology. God actually uses afflictions in our life to keep us recognizing we don't make it on our own. We can't make it on our own. 
When we step and look at the messes that we make in our own lives, we recognize we need a supernatural power to clean many of them up, and we have that. The other word he uses, he says, and to test you. The Hebrew word that's used there is the Hebrew word if you have gold or fool's gold to find out which it is. It's a pass-fail test. The uh, uh, humbling, the affliction that God allowed and, and the testing that God allowed was for their good. Now, when God tests us, it's not for God's knowledge because God knows all things. He already knows the outcome. When God tests us, it's either to show us, here's where your faith is weak, then God's going to strengthen our faith in that area. Or it's to show us, here's where your faith is strong. You're clinging to me. And usually then God's also strengthening our faith anyways. So these people, before they were going to turn their backs on the word of God, pick and choose what they wanted, especially his commands, they were to look back at their whole life, their whole life's journey there in the wilderness and see God, how God had led them. In this case, it was to show them what was in their heart, because if we let the things of this world have first place in our heart, if we trust in our work, in our relationships or or in in the scientific knowledge of human beings and that science can very much benefit us. But if that's what our hope and trust is in, that's our God. I, when I first entered the ministry, had the privilege. Many of the members I served in South Dakota were in their 90s. And many of them had got married, had just purchased their first farm, had a nice used automobile. Often it was a Model T when the grasshopper plagues. And I remember many of them telling me the first time they ever saw that dark cloud that was pure dust coming over the horizon. And when I would visit so many of them, they would often go on about the things that happened in the 30s. It stayed in their minds. And I remember several times they're saying, oh, I'm rambling on again. You probably don't care and why would like me to move on. I'd say, no, in fact, it would betray pastor confidence. I wish I had brought a voice recorder along so that I would preserve those stories because it was neat to hear Christians talk about those. And yet so many years later, better than a lifetime later, they could look back and say, but you know, the Lord made sure we might not have had abundance, but the Lord made sure we had food to eat. And they would look back and say, you know, our family was closer. It was amazing how we clung to the word of God. They they could see through their life's journey how God had taken care of them. The same is the case for you and I. When you feel ungrateful, when you feel like things aren't going well, you want to complain about life, step back and look at your life journey. Because Before the pre-incarnate Christ said those wonderful words, let there be light. God, the father, God, the son and God, the Holy Spirit had already made a plan. The son would take on human flesh and he would keep the law that you and I, let's admit it, even though we're believers, we still belly flop at it something miserably. He would keep the law perfectly for you and I. He would take the punishment for our constantly breaking that law just in our own thoughts. And he would rise victorious from that. So that his blood would wash those away. But that becomes yours through faith. So God the Father and God the Son had planned, and God the Holy Spirit had planned that you would encounter the word. Whether it be through parents or friends. And then they planned that the Holy Spirit would enter your heart through that word. I have to tell you, I would not be here preaching today if it were not for hardships that God allowed in my life. That took me in a different direction than I was planning when I graduated from high school. But it's amazing, and it only happens in hindsight, 
When hardships are going on, we simply, if we have strong faith, we say the Lord is going to take care of this and we pray to him. But it's amazing how you can look back in life and go, ah, here's how God was taking care of me. And so give thanks for every word that comes from the Lord. Look at your whole life's journey and see how the Lord has led you. That alone will give you lots to be thankful for. Now, we gather at Thanksgiving, and if you're like me, it's the one time a year, it's been uh, probably 47 years now, that every time I don't mean to, but there's always all that extra feast we put out, and you always end up overstuffing yourself. Oh, I did it again this year. Oh, and there's commercials about medication you can take to help with that. Our body has physical needs. It's nice to be able to look back and see the Lord providing for us, but let's admit it. When you're hungry, your stomach hurts. When you're cold, your body shivers. You need clothes. You need a roof over your head. So let's take a moment to think about those physical needs. Allow me to read what we've covered so far and add a half of verse 3. Remember the whole journey on which the Lord your God led you these 40 years in the wilderness in order to humble you and to test you, in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commandments. So he humbled you. And again, that word for humble is through affliction. And allowed you to be hungry. Then he fed you manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known before. God, after the ten plagues, after parting the Red Sea, after swallowing up Pharaoh's army, God leads the Israelites out into the desert. And it's good science. You look around, you go, there's no way that desert can support this nation of people. People start to feel just the slightest bit of hunger pains. And good science tells them that's it. And they start, that we're going to starve to death or we got to get out of here. And what did they do? The very people who had enslaved them, that they'd cried out to the Lord to deliver them to, they start screaming, oh, if only we were back in Egypt where we just had pots of flesh. Suddenly, their slavery became the good old days, right? They failed the test. God allowed a little bit. He had planned to provide for them. And like I said, they were using good scientific reasoning. What they didn't know is God was going to provide for them by sending quail through wind. And and also, he was going to send them that really weird bread that showed up as a morning dew. It was white. And they said that those words in English, we say manna, which really is transliterated from the Hebrew. What's this? God had given a stipulation to that. He was going to, with that bread, their, their physical bodily need for nourishment would be taken care of. But... They were going to have to trust that the Lord would make it appear every morning. They were allowed to collect, and they had to collect it. They were allowed to collect enough to satisfy them and their family every day. But they were only allowed to collect just enough to satisfy them and their family every day. Many of them did not. They did not trust the Lord, and they collected extra. and turned rancid and putrid and stunk something awful. They failed the first test. They refused to believe that the Lord would provide the manna the next day. Then, when he provided the manna the next day and the next day, well, there was another stipulation. When they got to Friday, because Saturday, our Saturday was their Sabbath day. When they got to Friday that day, after having experienced the putrid bread, they were to collect a double portion, enough to provide for them and their family that they could eat and be satisfied all day. Because God designed our bodies to need rest, and he wanted them to rest in our bodies and in his word. We'll get to the word here in a minute. So he then commanded them, you are to collect double on Fridays. Now they would have to trust that the Lord was not going to let that manna turn rancid. 
And many of the same ones who had collected the double portion at first turned around and went out to collect it on the Sabbath because they didn't trust the Lord. Or many of them just didn't collect the double portion. Well, they would be hungry on the Sabbath day. Now, the nice thing is, is Sunday the Lord would make the manna return. Time and time again, they trusted in something else. And it was to show them you're not trusting in the Lord. Now, all of that is a reminder for us. When Jesus fed the 5,000, the very next day, and remember they counted just the men, so if every man was married and had one child, that's 15,000. The very next day, they ran across the lake and tried to force him to be their king because they wanted miracle bread. Dump some bread on my lap, Lord. But that's not how God has made it work. God does not want us to get away with pure laziness. Give me my daily bread, Lord. He made that miracle manna appear every morning, but the Israelites still had to go collect it, and they still had to bake it. Well, you still have to go to work or invest your money and trust in, invest in your money for retirement if you are retired, uh, praying that the that things like that don't go away. The opposite can be that we become workaholics because we get hung up in the ways of this world and we can forget to take that day to rest our bodies. And let's admit it, lots of times our friends and our neighbors, they don't understand sometimes that your body, like theirs, needs a day of rest. Or we can get so hung up on rest that we turn around and instead of ever coming to the word of God, we're busy snowmobiling and ice fishing in the wintertime, fishing in the summertime. I'm not talking about occasionally doing those things as a relaxing thing. I'm talking about doing those all the time to the neglect of the word. We'll get to the word again here in a minute. But once again, God makes sure that we have the health. It has amazed me. I never thought I'd see the day in which I would rejoice to see gas dropping below $5 a gallon. That hurt, and it really rose the price of our groceries. I never thought I would see the day where a quarter of my retirement would overnight virtually be gone due to bad decisions by politicians. And yet here we are. It's not always easy to trust and say, wow, I've been saving away for retirement and the Lord's let it disappear. It's not always easy to trust that the Lord will provide. And in fact, when things seem to be screaming the opposite, doesn't it make us worry? The first sermon I ever preached was on John chapter 6, where the crowds that Jesus had fed the day before tried to force him to be their bread king. And he tells them that they need more than just physical nourishment. They were missing the point of his sermon. But I remember that summer I had attended with my wife, David Starr, and Pastor Woltis was preaching, and he preached on that text. Now, I became a preacher because I have a short attention span, so if I'm preaching the sermon, at least I'm paying attention to it. I paid attention to that sermon more than probably any other in my life. And I love something I learned that day because Pastor Woltis pointed out, isn't it amazing how the things that we worry about, we're worrying that our job may not work out, that you know, they, in budget cuts we might lose that. We worry, how am I going to pay the mortgage? How am I going to feed my kids? How am I going to put clothes on my back and theirs and a roof over their heads? And we lose sleep over those things. And then isn't it amazing how those things never turn out to be as bad as we thought they were? It's almost like they seem to take care of themselves. Well, they don't. God is working behind the scenes and he takes care of them. We end up with a job. Lots of times we end up with a better job and and, and those sorts of things. When we fill ourselves up with that wonderful Thanksgiving meal, give thanks for every word that comes from the Lord. Look at your whole life's journey and see how the Lord has led you. But while looking at that life's journey, look at how God has provided for your physical needs. 
Now, our text continues, if we read the whole thing, remember the whole journey on which the Lord your God led you these 40 years in the wilderness in order to humble you and to test you, in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commandments. So he humbled you and allowed you to be hungry. Then he fed you manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known before, in order to teach you that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. I love the Hebrew word that's used for teaching. It's the hiphal conjugation, which, if translated literally, doesn't make good sense in English, but tells us something quite theological. In order to bring about your knowing through experience, the the Hebrew verb used for knowledge there is knowledge gained through experience. When you see that the Lord takes care of you, then you have the experience and you learn to trust in that. How often is it that people forget about their spiritual needs? In fact, the Hebrew literally, if we translate it, not only says in order to bring about your knowing through experience that man does not live and literally be upon the basis of bread all by itself, but upon the basis of everything that comes from the mouth of the Lord. We forget that we need the word of the Lord. If you need more food, your tummy starts to growl. Your tummy starts to hurt. If your body needs more clothes, it starts to shiver. If the opposite is true, you start to get heat stroke. But when your soul is starving, do you notice it? Do you feel physical pain? No. Now, congratulations to you. If you're listening to this sermon, don't break your arm patting yourself on the back in a sinful way. But there really is a reminder for us there that... You have come for dessert. You're coming extra for a Thanksgiving service to give thanks to the Lord. But what about those people who they are? They have become too hung up in worrying about the relaxation, the snowmobiling or the hunting and the fishing or watching TV. What about the people who have stopped trusting in the Lord to provide for them? And they're working overtime and they're working on Sundays when when usually churches meet. And Sunday is not like a new Sabbath law. Well, those people, if they truly are having to work, and and let's admit it, there are medical professionals and stuff and law enforcement that they do. They do have to work. But those people, if they love the word of the Lord, when services like Thanksgiving, we're about to have midweek Advent services, we'll take a few weeks break and then we'll have Lent services. They love the word of the Lord. They will come to those because otherwise here is exactly what's happening. The new person that Holy Spirit created needs to be nourished in the word of God. And when he is well nourished, he's at the driver's seat guiding you on life's highway, guiding you to glorify God. But what happens when he is not being nourished? Well, you wouldn't want somebody starving to death driving behind the wheel on life's on a highway, would you? And as the new man starts to get malnourished... That sinful nature that's been forced into the back seat, he reaches over, puts the, sin, the new man into a headlock, yanks him over, and he gets behind the wheel. Now, if you think when the sinful nature has the wheel that he's pulling over even for some cheese puffs to slightly nourish your new person, uh-uh. His goal is to get that new person to pass out and shove it in the trunk so that it can starve to death. We live on the word of God. First of all, Jesus is the spokesman of the Trinity. He's the one who spoke out, let there be light. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have ruled over creation, not just to provide for your physical needs. They do that for unbelievers as well. But they ruled over creation to make sure you would encounter the word of God and you would be nourished by it. It really takes quite a fight of letting our sinful nature win 
to stay away from the word of God. And yet, because our sinful nature hates the word of God, it takes quite a fight with our new man fighting against the sinful nature. Our new man staying behind that, that driver's seat to actually come and hear the word of God. Yet when we hear the word of God, we're told again, ah, my sinful nature got a sucker punch in and I sinned. God has forgiven you. We get to grow in the word. It is amazing how many people reach a point in life where, like the children's song goes, they say, Jesus loves me, this I know, and that's wonderful. But then because of their sinful nature, they say, and that's all I want to know. And they won't come to Bible study, they won't come to hear the word of the Lord, and they don't realize they're starving themselves. And it's a disadvantage to their neighbor because then they're not able to apply so many things. Jesus loves me, this I know. Yes, you're saved. That's the big thing. But the ability to apply it and understand it, the ability to strengthen the new man that he's constantly able to put that sinful nature in a headlock, say, no, you're not getting the driver's seat. You're not getting behind the wheel. That comes on the basis of hearing the word of God with the law and the gospel because the law shows us our sin. The gospel is the good news of salvation in Christ. That empowers us. It washes our sins away. It empowers us to continually to fight against that sinful nature and glorify the Lord. So look how he provides for your spiritual needs, giving you the new person through the word, nourishing that person with the word. As we gather around and enjoy that wonderful feast of the harvest, and we're thankful for a country where we can still worship the Lord without being thrown in jail. Give thanks for every word that comes from the Lord. Look at your whole life's journey and how the Lord has led you. Look at how he's provided for your physical needs and look at how he provides for your spiritual needs. Amen. And now God will fully supply your every need according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Now to God our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen.